uh, one of the things I said as my mom was dying, I said, I, I wonder if my first breath was as soul stirring to my mother as her last breath was to me. This was my first time that I had been with somebody while they were dying. It's just a sacred moment. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. Hey guys, have you started thinking about Mother's Day yet? Every Mother's Day, I am looking for a card or something, a gift to give my mom, my sisters, my friends. And it's hard for me to sometimes find those gifts. And so today I'm so excited to tell you about this booklet, The Mother's Might. It's a perfect, simple, inexpensive gift you can give your friends, your family, your sisters, anyone that you want to share this story with. And it will be meaningful. It's not just a little piece of candy that they eat and forget. It's something they can read over and over again because so often we, as women, feel alone and overwhelmed and burdened and like there's so many things weighing upon our shoulders. And what I love about this story is that it points us to Jesus Christ in our times of trouble, that he understands us, he loves us, he knows what we're going through and he is more than willing to help us bear that burden. And I love that about this story, that it gives not only me hope, but it will convey that sense of hope for all of you. So get your copy of it today, tamarakanderson.com slash store. You can order one, two, 10, 20, however many you want. And we will get those to you so you can get them distributed by Mother's Day. All right, now on to our show. My guest today is an award-winning author, podcast host, and publisher. Her passions lie in her creative endeavors, which include her company, A Girl on the Go, a production and publishing company created to inspire, mentor, and influence girls and young women to help them realize their dreams and goals. She produces and co-hosts a weekly podcast with New York Times mega best-selling author Mitch Album called Tuesday People, which is a podcast based on the teachings of Maury Schwartz, Mitch's beloved former professor from his best-selling book, Tuesdays with Maury. She lives in Los Angeles with her musician husband, Teddy, and her three rescue dogs. I'm pleased to present Lisa Goich. Lisa, are you ready to share your story of hope? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. So one of the interesting things about Lisa is that she is a stand-up, a former stand-up comedian who is Mm -hmm. an introvert. Tell me how in the world that works. (laughs) I know. It's funny. Well, you know, I never even realized I was an introvert until the pandemic hit. And so many of, I would always say, I'm an extrovert. You know, I like people, I like talking. And yes, I was a comedian, but once the pandemic hit and we were all locked inside and I had other friends who were itching to get out and be with people. And I felt a hundred percent comfortable where I am here. Mm. I realized that 
then I had to start thinking of things like when I go to parties, I normally like just sitting on the couch and petting the dog or, you know, it's hard for me to make small talk, um, especially with strangers or people I don't know. I, I, I tend to, you know, gravitate toward the people at the party that I already know and that I don't have to, you know, start at the very beginning with. So um, I, I can't believe it took me this long in my life to realize that, you know, that <laughs> I am an introvert and I really like my alone time. And I like, I like being with my thoughts and myself and my books and um, reading and sitting with my dogs. I don't know. I just never realized that before. And it really put a lot of things together for me in my brain, you know? That's interesting. I think, I think the pandemic has given us a lot of time to reflect and, and probably do a lot of introspection. Mm -hmm. So I think you're not the only one that's had to put some puzzle pieces together. Yeah, and it, it helped me. I mean, now <laughs> I realize who I really am and I, I, now I, I, and it just made, made a lot of sense for me, you know? So yeah, I'm an introvert and I was a stand up comic and it's easy though, to be a stand up comedian and be an introvert. And I bet you there are a lot of us out there because um, you spend a lot of time traveling by yourself um, mm. from city to city and you spend time in your hotel room most of all until you leave for your show at night. You go to do your hour or whatever your time is and you hang out for a little bit, then you come back home. So, and then you get back in your car and drive and or fly to wherever your next place is. So it is a lot of alone time. So it, it, mm. it makes a lot of sense. And when you're out there, I'm speaking to people, but it's, it's a two-way conversation in the sense that you can feel their energy coming back at you, but I'm not talking to anybody. I'm talking, mm. but it's not a conversation. You know, right. um, it's a silent conversation, but it's not a conversation. So it makes sense. I don't know. It's not so far-fetched. <laughs> no, that the way you've described it right there, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You just talk to the crowd and then you get back in your car and you go home. Um, so I haven't been, a, I haven't done stand up in a really long time. So uh, it's my, it was my job for about 20 some years. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's really fun. So today we're going to dive into a part of your life that was was a little bit challenging. And that was your mother getting sick and passing away. Mm -hmm. Would you mind talking us through that storyline a little bit? Because that led you to writing a book and now a grief journal. So 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 give us a little background on this story. Well, I, um, as you said in the introduction, I live in Los Angeles. My parents live in Michigan. That's where I'm from. And, uh, you know, I would get home a couple of times a year to go see my parents. Uh, occasionally they would come out here, but most often I, it was me flying there. They were my, my mom, when she passed away was 85. My dad is now he's still alive. He'll be 99 in April. Oh, and wow. yeah, my dad is, uh, almost 99, almost a hundred. And, uh, so, um, whenever I would leave, Michigan to come back to Los Angeles, it was, I would be gutted because often I, the car would drive away and I'd look in the rear view mirror and I would see my mom, we'd always hug and I would see my mom and crying at the curb. And I would always cry when I had to say goodbye to her. And so it was because I feared that what if this is the last time I see her, you know? Mm -hmm. So the last time I went to go visit her was just a regular visit. She had just started, uh, dialysis for kidney failure. And, uh, when my cousin picked me up at the airport, he's, uh, we, 
I saw that we weren't heading in the right direction. And I said, oh, this isn't how we get to my mom's house. He said, well, no, we're going to be going to the hospital. Your mom is in the hospital. And I'm like, nobody told me that. Nobody said she was in the hospital. And apparently to make a very long story short, what had happened was she fell during her dialysis appointment and really bruised and injured herself. And uh, it was winter and um, she, I don't know, it was hard for my dad. My dad had to get her into the car to take her to this place. And I think, I don't know if she slipped on the ice or fell or something, but she was injured and she, she said she couldn't walk. And it was difficult for her to even sit up in her bed. When I got there, I mean, she was bruised all over her sides, her legs. Uh, and while at the hospital, she was talking to a nurse and said she just didn't want to have to do this dialysis anymore. She had a lot of other issues too. She had horrible scoliosis, horrible osteoporosis. To, I mean, her back was gnarled. I mean, it was, you could physically see her back twisted. Uh, and for years that caused her a lot of pain. She had a lot of um, digestion issues. She had 18 inches of her colon removed um, uh, about a decade prior. And from that point, you know, if you've had any little surgery, I had a gallbladder removed in uh, seven months ago and it can wreak havoc on you. You don't even realize what one little thing missing from your body does, let alone 18 inches of something that was designed to be there. And so she lived with a lot of discomfort for many years. So when she was going through dialysis, she was talking to this nurse um, or doctor at, at the hospital and said, I don't like this dialysis. I can't go through it. It makes me feel horrible. I, I don't like the feeling. And the doctor said, well, you know, you don't have to go through it. You know, you don't have to do dialysis um, that, you know, but my mom said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, if you don't do it, you, you just, you'll die but you don't have to do the dialysis. And my mom never realized that she had an option to do it or to not do it. But mm -hmm. it was just based on all of her other ailments and stuff, her life was not optimal for her, mm -hmm. you know? And so she decided to cancel her treatments and not do them anymore. But she, so she basically revealed that to me when I went to go see her in the hospital. And the doctors all came in and, and we had counselors come in and everybody came and sat with us and seeing the suffering she had been through, I totally understood, you know, it, it certainly took a while to process that thought because, you know, the nurses kept saying, well, it'll be about two weeks. Um, she'll live for about two weeks and that's about all her body can handle without her kidneys. So that was it. And once I processed that part, they basically sent her home. We had a hospital bed set up in her living room. And uh, it was, I call it a two week party for her. We had people come in, uh, relatives and friends and people bringing food. And she just sat as the queen that she was in her bed. And if you can choose your send off from this world, I would say it was the best possible way for her to go. It was little pain. She was on medication the whole time. When you go through hospice, all of your medicine gets taken away. Uh, so none of her blood pressure medicines she was on anymore. She wasn't taking any medicine. And for the first time ever, and I think she was probably experiencing a lot of side effects from her other medicine that she didn't even realize, she felt good for the first time in years and in decades probably. And um, it allowed her this chance to just feel good until she left. And so though it was 
um, bitter, it was sweet. And we had two weeks to just do nothing but concentrate on my mom. And uh, I wish I wish that for everybody. You know, I wish that I know some people die suddenly and that's a horrible loss because you don't have that moment. I couldn't imagine if my cousin had picked me up and it was the opposite. And he said, well, I have something to tell you. Your mother passed away today. That would have killed me. And that happens to people, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was, I feel like I was given this unbelievable gift of these two weeks with my mother. And so I just started a new job And I had to call my job and tell them, you know, I'm going to be here for two weeks. And it was right before Christmas. And I didn't know how that was going to go over. And my mom kept saying, just go back, go back, go back. And I'm like, no, I can't go back. I mean, and in my book, I talk, my first book was called 14 Days. It was a, I wrote a memoir about my mom's, um, about these two weeks. And in my book, I talk about this, it's Christmas. And I couldn't help but think of all the things that were happening back here and that I had to miss and that you're, you're pulled between these moments of guilt because you feel terrible for even thinking about these other things and the reality of, no, I just want to sit here with my mom and this is what I'm going to be doing. So during that time, I was writing mostly on Facebook just to, to keep our friends and family posted that weren't in Michigan to let them know what was happening, but they weren't really just like, you know, today we, you know, my mom came home. They were sort of more poetic writings and some friends of mine were saying, you should save these and do something with these one day. And I was like, ah, you know, I, I never even at that point, wasn't thinking about that at all. Um, so I did, I was just writing these little blips and blurbs every day, several times a day for the two weeks. And thank goodness I had those to go from because, um, those became my sort of roadmap that, and my dad keeps a diary every day. Uh, every day since he's done it for probably 40 years, at least I'd say. And his diary though, is a very, his diary is a different kind of diary. This morning I woke up at 8 42 AM. I drank coffee. Um, it was snowing. The temperature was 32 degrees and, uh, you know, the streets are clear. Uh, we watched, you know, the view and, you know, everything is in there. So the beauty was when I sat down to actually write this book, I had every moment written for those two weeks. I know exactly what we watched. I know who the guests were on any TV shows we watched. He writes everything in detail. So uh, pretty much what I wrote was 100% accurate. (laughs) Um, uh, I didn't have to, you know, patch things up with any sort of, you know, memories. It was all right there. So I wrote this, the two weeks were, were sad, but it was a gift, you know, and to be there all the way to the moment she died. And this will springboard into what we're here to talk about today. But uh, one of the things I said, as my mom was dying, I said, I, I wonder if my first breath was as soul stirring to my mother as her last breath was to me, because in that moment, I could feel this full circle moment happening where I thought she was there for my first breath and I am here for her last. And it's such a moment of, I I can't even say, I don't know if you've ever been with anybody. Have you ever been with anybody as they were passing away? I have not. Yeah. It was if, if, and when, and I'm sure you will at some point have that moment. This was my first time that I had been with somebody while they were dying, like when they just left. And it is a 
it is a moment. I can't, it's just a sacred moment. My mom saw people there from, uh, you know, a few days before she died, there were two men that came to her. Uh, it was a, you know, I don't know if they were guides or angels or people that, that, that came to escort her. They were there on the last day. They were there when she left. It was, it was a, I can't even explain it. It was probably one of the most sacred experiences I've ever experienced. And I've been with my dogs when they've died and cats and, mm -hmm. and stuff. And, and for me, because I love them, like they're my family. Um, those moments too are very deep for me, but this was different. It's your mother. And it's the person who I hung on to my entire life. I mean, and I'm talking hung on to even in speaking of being an introvert, you know, I, I think I spent most of my time until I was in my late thirties, you know, with my mom, I lived at home a very long time. Uh, I loved living at their house. I always went places with them. When I was a little kid, I preferred being with my mom and her old friends over my, my friends, uh, you know, so, uh, it was, I was definitely a mama's girl and, uh, it was a tough loss, but, but to be there, in those moments was incredible. It really was eye-opening to me and just changed a lot inside of me. Wow. Sorry. I'm getting all teary over here. I think uh, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, very heartfelt and sweet. And it's, you know, in some ways it's so comforting to know that when we do pass, mm -hmm. that we're not going to be by ourselves. There will be yeah. people there to greet us and that it, it's, uh, I love how you call it a sacred experience. Yeah, it really was. Heard. It was. And whether or not you believe in things or an afterlife or whatever. Um, and, you know, I, I guess we, you know, you have faith that can tell you that it's there. But if you don't really know scientifically, if something happens, you know, if you need proof, I, I you know, I was never sure. I, you, you don't know. I didn't know. I, and mm -hmm. I, I went into this not no, either way, you know, is my mom mm -hmm. just leaving and then that's it, whatever. Um, but it wasn't until she saw these two people and she saw them uh, when she was still pretty with it, you know, at the end, when she started taking morphine, it muddled her mind a lot. At the time she first saw these two gentlemen, um, and it's weird, but why they were two guys, I don't know who they were. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they weren't her relatives. Although she did have a moment where she saw, and I said, what do you, who are you talking to? And she said, oh, Uyak is his uncle in Serbian. She said, I saw Uyak uh, just now. And she said, um, he no longer drinks. And I, and I started <laughs> laughing. I go, oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. I mean, and, and it's funny that to put those things together, like I, I thought it has to be real because where would you get that from? You know, I saw Uyak, he no longer drinks. And she said, he and wow, he's such a handsome man now. And, and it makes you think that maybe he went back to some other part of himself that was a better part of himself before he turned into the person he turned into. I mean, he was always a nice man, but I mean, just, yeah. you know, maybe we go back to this other, whatever our optimal time was, that's who we become forever, you know? Mm -hmm. And then his sister, which was my grandma's sister, I said, did you see Tata Stana, who was, um, she was, she was a little eccentric. And, uh, and, and my mom said, Oh no, I would have been afraid if I saw her, I didn't see her. <laughs> and, you know, so she, she had the whole story down. Like, 
<laughs> she, she had a moment. So there were moments where she was with people mm-hmm. from her life that she had seen. It was the craziest thing. And that continued. And so when these two people, it was funny because when she first saw the two men and I said, who are you talking to this next day? And she says, oh, those men right there. And I looked at the end of the bed. I said, I don't see anybody. She said, yeah, they're right there. There's two men. And somebody had like a clipboard and he was writing something down. And, and I said to the guy, I go, it's not me. I said, just so you know, <laughs> not me. It's her, <laughs> you know, take, take, you're taking her. It's not me. I got some time left here. Uh, you know, and I just want to make that clear. I'm here to assure anybody who might have questions. I 100% believe that there is something else. And, you know, even Steve Jobs, when he, I don't know if you heard those times when he was passing, he said something like, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Um, and what is that? What does that mean? What are you, what is he seeing? And there's the man, the ultimate scientist, you know, who, who brought us these, this ability that we're talking on right now to talk to each other. There's just bright moments in, in loss, if you can even imagine that. So you talk about there being bright moments in loss. There's also hard times in loss. So perhaps what are some of the lessons that you were able to draw from and learn from watching your mother pass and and passing through the grief cycle? Uh, Well, I have to say, you know, it's it's weird because during that time, I I was worrying more about my dad. You know, my mom Mm -hmm. and my dad were married 64 years. And so to... I think it gave me something else to think about, which was him uh, and his loss and him saying goodbye to her and her saying goodbye to him. I mean, there were moments where my dad would just, I mean, and it will, it killed me to see him sitting at her side and just crying and, and my mom trying to soothe my dad to say, it's going to be okay. And still to this day, my dad, you know, it's been, she died in 2011. So this December, it will be 10 years. Mm-hmm. And t- my dad still to this day, he, I want to be with her. I, I'm ready to go see my Mika. I'm ready to go, you know, every day. He talks to her every day as a picture of her on his dresser. And he talks to her in the morning when he wakes up. He talks to her at night when he goes to bed. Um, uh, and his his last 10 years have been living to get back to see her again. He goes to the grave. He sits there in his little lawn chair. He brings a folding chair and talks to her. And uh, so for me, the loss was most painful watching my dad say goodbye. I thought, you know, I can handle this. I can, um, of course it's gonna be sad because for, but, but when you're in it, it, when in those moments when I was in it, you're not processing it yet. At least I didn't. Um, I wasn't processing what it was going to mean to not have her around. And I was so used to being here in California while they were there. And I think what's, what helped me past it was that I could sort of come back here and pretend that um, she was still there somewhere, right. you know, and I still do that kind of, you know, she's just in this other place where I'm not right now, but I'll see her sometime again. You know, and, and it's weird that I have this, it was sort of a comfort to be able to leave and come back here. You know, I wasn't there. Uh, it's harder when I go back home, uh, my parents are no longer in their house. And I think that was also a hard time for me was when we were packing up their house after my mom had died, my dad moved to a assistant, li- assisted living place. And, um, 
So that was one of those points where it's really hard yeah. uh, saying goodbye to their house and then looking at the living room where my mom died in. And, you know, at least when I went back to visit my dad, I would still have that zone, you know, and, and it was their place and it was their house. And then when that's taken away from you, I think I don't even have a home to go back to anymore. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the family home is gone. And when the family home is gone, that's the heart. I think, you know, the family home is the heart of the family mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, visiting my dad in his assisted living place isn't the same because it's not, no. it's not where I grew up. It's not, you know, it wasn't their backyard and even saying good, like goodbye to the house. I went and looked in the backyard where we would have, you know, dinners in the summer. And my mom was not an outdoors person. She, she didn't love sitting outside. She loved her sofa and, uh, <laughs> watching TV and putting her slippers on. And that was kind of where she found comfort. She didn't love squirrels. Um, <laughs> I was strange. I talk about that in the book too. There were things outside. Like if she, my, my, she was so funny. I, she would see a squirrel in the backyard and my mom would open up the back door and go, psst, psst, psst. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I don't want the squirrels in the yard. I'm like, it's, it's their zone. That's not your, you have no, you know, you have no authority over this, the backyard for the squirrels. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah. So she, I, I guess one of the, the tips here mm -hmm. that we're learning is mm -hmm. that it's fun to still talk about them. Yes. And to and, laugh about their funny stories. Right. Yes. And that's what I did in the two weeks. I mean, and that's what my book, uh, the book 14 days is about the first book is people are, are when they buy it. And in a lot of reviews I read about it from total strangers were like, I was surprised at how funny the book was. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, um, I, I guess maybe it's just because I come from a comedy background and my mom was really funny. Uh, even to the end, she was funny there. I talk about in the book, she was mad at her neighbor. Um, craziest thing. Uh, my mom and her neighbor were friends forever, you know, uh -huh. and my parents, when they were going through this, um, uh, dialysis, and it was winter time. My niece had had some stuff stored in my mom's garage. And so they weren't able to use their garage, but my neighbor had a garage and she didn't have any cars. She didn't drive. So my parents asked my neighbor if they could use her garage for a while till my niece could get her stuff out of the garage. And uh, she initially said yes, but then her son came back and said, no, um, they can't. And my mom got really mad. And she decided she was going to hold this grudge against her neighbor and never talk to her again. And so while my mom was dying, I said, we should tell her that you're dying. You know, you're not going to be here. You should say goodbye to her. You know, um, that it's not nice to not say goodbye to her. And my mom, you know, I'm not going to use a couple swear words and said, I'm not going to, I don't you know, give a about her. She didn't care about me and I don't care about her. And, and it was funny because as my mom was sitting in the living room and, um, her neighbor was a little tiny woman, just like my mom, little tiny lady. And, uh, I could see the neighbor looking into my mom's house. She knew something was up mm -hmm. looking into my mom's house, which would require the neighbor to stand. She was looking from her bathroom window, which is a higher window it, which would mean she'd have to stand on the, on top of her bathtub, like on the <laughs> edge of her bathtub. And she's an older woman to look out the curtains of the bathroom window, to look into my mom's living room where my mom was her family room. And, uh, and I said, 
you know, Angie's looking at you right now. She's staring in here. Let me call her and bring her over here. And my mom, ah, she's not going to come over here. I said, she's going to kill herself on this bathtub, you know? And my mom, I don't care. All <laughs> oh, over no. the stupid garage. <laughs> and so like, I mean, there were moments at the end where we would be cracking up. And I mean, here I am sitting here with my mom watching the neighbors staring like Mrs. Kravitz into my mom's, uh, you know, family room. And we had a lot of those moments. And I mean, we were able to, you know, I guess, enjoy those moments, but then there were sad moments like, oh my gosh, probably one of the most touching times was um, the mailman came one day and John was his name. And my parents had the same mailman, like here we have a different, it seems like a different mail carrier every day. And yeah. I don't know if it's just certain neighborhoods or whatever, but my mom and dad had the same mail guy for years, John. And John came over and uh, I, I saw him coming and I went to the front door and, you know, took the mail from him. And I said, you know, um, I don't know if you know, but my mom is dying and she's, uh, you know, she only has, I think at the time was maybe a week left or something. And he says, oh my gosh, no, I didn't know. I go, do you want to come in and talk to her for a little bit and say hi? And he's like, sure, sure. So he comes in, he puts his big giant mailbag at the front door and uh, comes in and talks, sits down in this. My mom had this chair next to her bed that, that was like the people chair where everybody could come uh, talk to her. And uh, John, the mailman came and, and said his goodbyes. And to see John, the mailman crying when he left broke my heart, like it broke my heart. And I, I, I noticed in his bag, he had all these Christmas cards and it just struck me as here we are at this moment where people are celebrating this holiday and the postman leaves to deliver these cards to these people of joy. And here we are in this whole different reality right now, mm -hmm. which is something that you don't realize um, all the time that when you're like, we are here, we are right now sitting here in this moment having a relatively, you know, nice day, a talk. But while we're doing this, there's somebody that's going through what I was going through at that very moment, saying goodbye mm -hmm. to somebody that they love. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's those things we can't ever forget. You know, um, it was really, it was, that was probably one of the most painful moments of that time because it's watching other people that, you know, I could, I could take my moments and, I guess, process them easier, but it was harder for me to watch other people be sad, if yeah. that makes any sense, yeah, you absolutely. know, and see her friends come over and say goodbye and her lifelong friends that would come over to say goodbye to her. That was so hard for me. I thought these people have known her way longer than I have, you know, and to hear them say goodbye to my mom was really, uh, it was poignant, you know, it was, mm -hmm. it was difficult. So probably one of the lessons there is that you never, you probably have no idea the lives that you're touching, just living out your life. Yeah, that's you true. Know? And, that's... and you don't know, maybe the mailman just loves you to pieces and you're like, what, really? Yeah. <laughs> I make a difference to him, Yeah, you know, but, it, and so exactly. our life touches people in so many different ways and we just have no idea. Yeah, exactly. That we have. Exactly. You wouldn't know that the mailman would cry if you died. You know, first of all, my mailman won't because he doesn't even know who he is. <laughs> so I can guarantee you my mailman will not be crying when I die. Um, uh, but uh, perhaps my neighbors will, you know. Right. 
We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to have Lisa talk to us a little bit more about her guided grief journal and also ask her a few other questions about why she thinks some losses are harder to deal with than others. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tamara K. Anderson, and I want to share something special with you. When our son Nathan was diagnosed with autism, I felt like the life we had expected for him was ripped away and with it, my own heart shattered as well. It's very common for families to feel anger, pain, confusion, and anxiety when a child is diagnosed. This is where my book, Normal For Me, comes into play. It shares my story of learning to replace my pain with acceptance, peace, joy, and hope. Normal For Me has helped change many lives, and I'd like to give this book to as many families as possible. We put together something I think is really special. My friends and listeners can order copies of my book at a significantly discounted price, and we will send them to families who have just had a child diagnosed with autism or another special needs diagnosis. We will put your name inside the cover so they will know someone out there loves them and wants to help. I will also sign each copy. You can order as little as one or as many as hundreds to be shared with others. So go to my website, TamaraKAnderson.com and visit the store section for more information and to place your order. You can bless the lives of many families by sending them hope, love, and peace. Check it out today at TamaraKAnderson.com and help me spread hope to the world. And we're back. I've been interviewing Lisa Goich about the death of her mother and all the amazing experiences she had leading up to that and the processing that she had to do because of her mother passing away. In fact, that's what we're just diving into right now. Um, And we're excited to have her share more about her guided grief journal. But before we dive into that, Lisa, why don't you tell me a little bit about um, why you think some losses are harder to deal with than others? It's funny how some losses hit you so hard. Um, closure is so important for us in times of loss. And yeah. to talk about hope and hard times, hard times are when you don't have time to process, I think. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's You need a moment to be able to sit and say goodbye to the person, to give your goodbyes. And those deaths that occur that don't give us those moments, I think those are the hardest those are, you know, you feel like I never got to tell so-and-so this or that, which is a reminder for all of us every day to tell those people in our life how much they mean to us and how much we love them and, you know, call them, see them. I mean, I know now we're in a pandemic as we're, when we're recording this, it's hard to see those people that we love. I haven't seen my dad in a year and a half. Mm. And, uh, it's very difficult at 98, almost 99 to not have seen him, you know, but I talk to him as much as I can. I try to call him every day. It's hard because he doesn't hear very well. So um, it's kind of a one-way conversation on both ends. Um, (laughs) He'll say something to me, I'll answer it. And he answers me some completely something different. Um, But uh, uh, you know, I just think you need to, and your friends, everybody never take anybody for granted because you don't know. Mm-hmm. when anybody's, we, you know, I, I'm on this podcast with Mitch Album, um, the writer, and we have a 
podcast based on Tuesdays with Maury, his book. And, um, you know, Mitch was with Maury in his final days. And we often talk about this because a lot of what they talked about was, you know, how important living is, you know, do you have this time here on earth, live it and live it with purpose and live it with kindness and live it with love um, and never forget to just be with those who you love and tell them how much they mean to you. Um, I think that makes the end a lot easier. Mm. Now, you mentioned something back there that we all need time to process these mm -hmm. kinds of losses. Um, what, what would you say to someone who is grieving a loss that they haven't, they didn't get a chance to say goodbye? Huh. Well, uh, that's a hard one. In fact, in the book that I just did now, I wonder, it's a guided grief journal. And that springs off of, by the way, the title springs off of that quote that was from my first book. You know, I wonder if my first breath was the soul stirring to my mother as her last breath was to me, um, which kind of went viral on its own. It's everywhere. If you, if you Google it, I mean, it's on every grief site. Um, I found some woman on Etsy who makes grief jewelry. And she um, had that quote in a necklace, the quote from my book. And I was like, wow. So I wrote to her and I said, can I buy a necklace? That was a quote from my book. You know, I, I, and I said, it would be nice, by the way, if, can you just, you know, write where that's from so that people know where it's from, give my book yeah. a little credit here, but um, just at least on her page where she sells them. So people know where it came from. But um, the journal for me is a good way to process this sort of thing. And mm -hmm. I think it's something I would, and it doesn't have to be my journal, any journal can, you know, if you want to just start writing in a blank journal, the things that you can't tell somebody, you know, that you, you weren't there to be able to say, um, I have two things to say about that. One, based on what we just talked about, about my mom saying mm -hmm. that um, two people came to get her. I am completely convinced that there is an afterlife mm -hmm. of some sort. Um, and I think that it, it will behoove you to just talk to them talk to them here, talk to them now. They're, they're listening. They can hear you. Um, if you don't believe that that's true, write in your journal, write everything that you would want to say to them. Uh, write what that those last moments would have been. Write them a letter, you know, everything that you'd want to say to them, get it off your chest, um, which is, you know, I think a lot of it is just this, you carry this burden and um, a lot of people carry guilt you know, I, why didn't I go visit them last week? Like I meant to, I meant to call him last Friday. Why didn't I, mm. um, had I talked to him on Friday? Well, no, because had you talked to him on Friday, you wouldn't have known Friday that he was going to be dying mm. and you wouldn't have said the things you wanted to say anyway, which brings me back full circle to say the things you want to say while people are alive. And yeah. if you don't have those chances, just say it now say it out loud, say it when you're laying in bed, find a sacred time or a space, um, you know, to be able to talk to somebody. I really think it's helpful. You know, I, I, I think if you believe that they're listening, they're listening, mm. you know, um, and, and it might take time to process it. Um, and everybody goes through grief differently. So, uh, you know, I can only speak from how I grieve, but yes. I know, friends who grieve in much different ways. I have a friend who still isn't over the loss of her husband and it's been 11 years. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And it is, it is all encompassing for her. It is every day. Every day for her is like slogging through quicksand. And um, there's nothing we can do to help her. There's nothing I can do to help her. We've tried. Other friends have tried. Nothing gets her out of it. You know, I, of course, the first thing I suggest is therapy. You know, mm-hmm. go talk to a professional who can help you through this, who knows how to deal with grief. Um, I think she went for a little bit. It didn't help. Uh, so I, I just think that there are so many levels of so many people go through things, but um, I would just suggest to anybody, don't carry around guilt. That's, that's not a, it's not going to help you at all in this life. Mm-hmm. And the person who passed wouldn't want you to live with guilt. Uh, they would want you to live with happiness in your heart and, and live your life. I mean, and that's what I try to do. I put myself in their shoes if it was the flip side and I had died and they were still living, what would I tell them right now from the other side? Mm. I would tell them live for God's sake, live, you know, um, don't think about me. You have your life to live right now. I'm here and I'm happy and I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, you know where I am, but live your life now, you know, I'll see you one day. Uh, you know, we had a good time together here. I just, you have to flip it and think about what you would tell somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's helpful too. Absolutely. That's actually some really, really good advice. I know one of the things um, I loved about your grief journal, because I've been blessed to be able to preview it, is is so many of the the things you recommended were like, you were sitting down in the same room with me and it was like mm-hmm. a, a fun little heart to heart there's a target painted on one of the pages that says punch this target as hard as you want. Yeah. Sometimes we experience <laughs> anger, you yeah. know, and that's a normal emotion that goes with grief. And so, you know, punch the target, mm-hmm. get it out. Um, it says that time heals all wounds. Sometimes not so much, you know? Yeah. And um, one of the questions I've been wanting to ask you is what, was some of the best grief advice that you were given after your mom passed? Uh, I would say some of the best advice was, uh, you know, and, and it sounds trite and people don't want to hear this. And sometimes they can't hear this after somebody passes, but it was your mom would want you to be happy. And it's simple. and it, it is what my mom would want. She wouldn't want me to be sad. I know it's hard to process when you're saying goodbye to somebody that you think that they are, you know, that you're doing them a disservice by being happy, that you need to be sad because by showing happiness during grief, you know, a lot of people say, um, there's that quote, you know, um, it's okay to not be okay. Uh, I have a quote in my guided grief journal. It's okay to feel okay. You know, it's, it's okay to feel okay. Don't feel guilty for feeling okay today. Just embrace whatever it is that you're going through. I, I, I guess that would be the best advice, you know, just embrace whatever you're going through today and you're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. And that's something that was said to me. And I talk about this in the journal too. Um, you know, the journal is not a, a lateral journal. You can write in it. However you, I do start it. There is a post for day one. Um, so, um, and some people may be picking the journal up after day one. Well, Mm -hmm. that can be your day one of picking up the journal. It doesn't need to be day one of the day after you lost somebody, 
But day one is a hard day. It's, it's the hardest. Uh, it's the day that you first wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, they're not here anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the hardest moment. And then you have to go through those firsts of the first birthday without them, their first birthday, the first holiday without them. All of those firsts are really difficult. Uh, for me, getting through the firsts of everything was made the seconds easier. Um, you know, the next year and the following year and the mm -hmm. following year. And, you know, people will say it gets easier. Uh, I've heard other people say that's not a good thing to say to people, but it does. It, it does. But then you still might have moments where one day it just hits you again from out of the blue. That's mm -hmm. what I was saying. I talk about this in the journal where you take it's I, I liken it to the game shoots and ladders when you're a kid. You know, um, you're moving ahead with your little game piece and you move ahead and you move ahead, then, ah, shoot, there's a shoot and you end up down the chute. Yes. Um, that's grief. Grief is like shoots yes. and ladders. It, you know, then you climb up that ladder. You're good. You're good. You're good for another few months. And then all of a sudden something happens or a moment or you're reminded of something and, oh, another shoot. That's grief. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't think it's ever a straight line. And um, uh, so just it, be patient with your process. Yes. Be patient with your process and just know that it's a process. And, you know, that's, that's something that was told to me too early on that you're, you're, you know, you're going to grieve the way that you're going to grieve and mm -hmm. don't beat yourself up. If you're not healing completely after a month, or you're wondering why after three months, you're still feeling so sad. Well, it's going to happen, you know, mm -hmm. or then don't beat yourself up at three months when you're feeling really happy. It's the flip side of that. You know, if you yeah. suddenly find yourself really happy and enjoying your life, for goodness sake, don't feel guilt over that. You yeah. know, I don't no, know. That's it's beautiful. That's really, really um, insightful. And I, and I love that. It, it's like you, you have to give yourself mercy <laughs> wherever yeah. you are that day or wherever you are on your journey, give yourself mercy. And I think the same can be projected to other people who are dealing with grief. Give mm -hmm. other people mercy wherever they are on their journey. Yeah. Because you just have no idea Absolutely. how they're processing their grief that day. Absolutely. And it's, it's um, sometimes it's a loss because, you know, um, I know with my friend who lost her husband, she also feels like she lost friends when she lost him. Mm. And I think a lot of people go through that because you lose friends for different reasons. Sometimes people can't be with somebody when they're in such deep grief. It's, mm. I think it's an uncomfortable place for people to be and they don't know how to be, you know, they don't know how to be with you in that moment. They back away and you feel like you're losing people. Um, I would say if you are the griever, reach out to your friends and tell them that you need them, you know, because mm. sometimes friends don't know. They think that you're okay and you're living your life all right. But if you really are hurting and your friends have stopped coming around, maybe it's because they believe that you're doing fine. Um, mm. And if you need the help call, you know, I'm, so big on just calling your friends. In fact, in my journal, I have a thing of friends to call 24 seven, you know, and mm -hmm. just write their names down so you can rotate them and remember, you know, if you feel like mm -hmm. you're leaning too much on somebody, go down your list, 
and go to friend number two or friend number three <laughs> or friend number five, you know, or your sister or somebody, you know, that you can speak with. Don't feel guilty for having to spill your beans, you know. Um, I think that's where stuff gets difficult. And then you start building in resentment because nobody's calling you or nobody's mm. saying anything to you. I, I see it, you know, you can see that process with people all the time. Then people start resenting people. And then the people who aren't grieving are resenting the griever for saying bad things about them, but they're saying bad things about them mm. because they're not calling them. Well, you reach out. If you're mm. grieving and you need some help, reach out. I guarantee you, your friends will be there for you. Yeah. You know, they will. Um, but they may not know that you need help. Yeah. And, and it, and so it almost takes a little bit of courage, you mm -hmm. know, to maybe you're not usually the type of person who calls somebody up and says, I'm struggling, but yeah. it takes courage to admit that. But by admitting it, we open ourselves to more healing and more processing because sometimes people process things on paper better. And sometimes people mm -hmm. process things by talking them out. Yeah. And sometimes absolutely. they probably do a little bit of both. <laughs> absolutely. I know. Exactly. And I'm a writer. And like I said, I'm a writer. And the reason why, you know, when I wrote this journal, I, the, I wonder journal, um, I, I wrote it, um, based on, I, I basically made exercises for myself when I was going through the loss of my mom. So I would create an exercise and I would just follow through with my own little exercise. And um, so these prompts and exercises are things I wrote for me to go through um, the loss of my mom. And uh, whereas my first book, 14 Days, was a sort of a chronicle of my loss, this new book is a chronicle of your loss. You know, it's your chance to write your story and your book. Um, at the end, we provide a lot of blank pages um, for you to just, here's your story, write about your person. The book, instead of me dedicating the book to somebody in the front, it's this book is dedicated to, and then there's a blank there. Um, mm. So it's dedicated to your person to write your story. And I'm going to tell you, it helps. You don't have to be a great writer. You don't have to, you know, I guide you along on these prompts to do that I, I think are helpful, but they're, like I said, the back is a place for you to create your own. If you want to make your own exercises or your own, you know, what will make you feel better in this moment. I have a lot of little ritual things to do, you know, like light a candle. I have write a letter to your person and rip it out and tear it in thing and, and, you know, um, bury it outside and plant some seeds there. So when the flowers grow, you know, that your message has been heard. Um, I love doing things like that. Cause you see life sprout from loss. And I just believe that there's life all around us and we have to look for it, but um, just that. lean on your friends. I think they're there for you and they want to be here for you, you know, but, mm -hmm. and it also doesn't discount to go to a professional. I, you know, my book in no way is to replace professional help. There's nothing like having somebody who, who understands grief and loss and can walk you through it, but really your friends and your family, people who knew that person, I think are your best resource because you can speak to them about this person and they know when you say, you know, but John was so funny. Yeah, I know. John was hilarious. You know, whatever it is that you want to say about this person, you can share stories. You can, you can share moments with them. And sometimes those moments are enough to bring that person back for just a little while in your memory that, that, you know, helps your heart. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it is so important to um, talk to people about our loved ones that we have lost. Mm-hmm. 
it, I think it helps keep their memory alive. I think that's why family stories are so important, mm-hmm. you know, that you, you tell other people about it just, it helps us realize that every person's life really does make a difference and they're funny quirks and they're not so funny quirks. Right. <laughs> I know that like, people are remembering them. I think it's just, it's sweet. It's touching. Right. I often think about that. You know, when you go to, um, I mean, I'm Serbian and we always have a, you know, a wake, like a dinner after a funeral, whatever. And often at these things, you see people, it's, it's that moment. And I think there's such an important thing to have because people go back to a house or a restaurant or wherever you go and you share a meal and the tears that you just had two hours ago or an hour ago at this funeral are replaced with laughter and you watch people sharing stories and having these moments. And sometimes people feel guilty about that. And I think, no, no, this is what it's about. Remember that person fondly. Remember, remember those happy times and all the good times. And I, that's what keeps me going. Like, especially with my mom, I think about funny stories about my mom And I'll call my aunt up and say, oh my gosh, remember that time when we were in Las Vegas and my mom was in the bathroom and she was having a hard time in the bathroom, getting out of the bathroom. She pulled this cord thinking it was a bell to reach the, like, you know, when they have like those cords you can pull that are like a a bell that go down to the front desk. Uh My mom was pulling this cord thinking that it was going to ring down to the front desk because she was having an emergency. She couldn't get out of the bathroom. Well, it was the clothesline that you can hang up in the hotel room to hang your clothes on. So my mom was pulling the clothesline, thinking that it was a bell ringing in our room that we would be able to hear my mom in the bathroom having a hard time. And I mean, I still laugh about that when I go to a hotel. And if I ever see that clothesline thing, I crack up Um, thinking about my mom yanking on this clothesline, thinking that we were going to hear it ringing or it was going to ring down to the front desk. I wasn't even quite sure what her thought process was at that. I I think back to those times and um, I tell anybody out there who's listening to this right now, if you have those times, think of those times. I swear to God, they will help you. Um, you know, remember the fun times, remember the funny times, uh, talk to your friends about them. They're the ones who share in those moments with you. Talk to your family members about them, your sisters, your brothers, your living parents, aunts, uncles, um, depend on those people while they are still here too. And I know, I know that it's so hard. I know some people, it's just super hard to process, but I always think if I can do it, you can too. And, you know, we have help. I, I do, I, um, through the book, I started a website called Guided Grief Journal. And we have Sunday prompts that I put out every week. And they're different from the prompts that are in the book. Um, every Sunday, if people subscribe to the website, you'll get them in your inbox. Or you can just go to my socials every Sunday and they're on there. But I try to create a prompt like that every week. And it's a community. So, you know, write to all of us. Write your prompts down in the in the comment sections, you know. And other people are going to be there also sharing in these moments. And, you know, I'm trying to create a community, especially when the book finally comes out, create a community where people can join together and, you know, a private group where we can share our thoughts, you know? So I have a Facebook page that people can join in on conversations and, you Tell know, us what that's called um, on, on all socials. I'm at guided grief journal. 
and um, the website is guidedgriefjournal.com. So, and there's links to the socials on the website as well, but everywhere it's at Guided Grief Journal. The book is called, I Wonder, A Guided Grief Journal, but I was fortunate enough to be able to get Guided Grief Journal for everything. So I'm really trying to encourage conversation among people who are grieving, you know, um, to sort of pose questions to people and say, hey, this is what we're going to talk about today. Share your story, you know, Mm -hmm. and I really think other people are there to help us. When I had my gallbladder removed, I joined a gallbladder group online Uh and um, these groups online are so helpful these days where you can share like, you know, when I think, oh, why am I having this pain? Oh my gosh. I can just go to this group (laughs) and talk to these people who are going through exactly what I'm going through and go, oh, I'm not the only one. There's 50 other people who are feeling this right now. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the same with grief. You are so not alone. Everybody Mm -hmm. is feeling what you are feeling. We all feel it in different levels, in different uh, degrees, but everybody is feeling it in some way. So look for those other groups online, look for grief groups online. They are so helpful. There's, and there's all kinds of grief groups, depending on what your loss is, because think about different kinds of loss, losing an 85 year old mother is completely different than losing your child. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't even fathom what that grief is like. Getting past that grief is much more difficult than getting through the loss of a parent, um, you know, later in life, not losing a parent when, and also the loss of when you're a six-year-old girl and you lose your mother is entirely different than losing your mother when you're in your forties as I was, um, you know, and, um, Hope Edelman, I don't know if you ever spoken with her on your show. She um, has a group called motherless daughters, Mm. a great resource. I would tell for people who, um, the book is amazing. And she just came out with a new book, um, sort of about the long tail of grief. Um, you know, when you lose your mother, when you're young, what that means to you later on in life, it's a great resource for people who lose parents young. Um, especially a a daughter losing a mother, which is a whole different, um, relationship and ball game. So I highly recommend that book to people too, and her groups. Uh, it's really good because again, it's a very particular kind of loss. Yeah. And they're all quite different. Yeah. Um, and I could never, I could never say that I can understand what you're going through when you lose a child because I haven't. I suggest you go to those people who, who understand you wholly, and you can share your thoughts. And I guarantee you, everybody in that group is feeling exactly what you're feeling, mm-hmm. you know. And it makes you feel not so alone. Yeah, and that's that's the point. I don't think we're meant to feel all alone. There's so many of us around, even mm-hmm. though we've had to quarantine because of the pandemic, you know, there are people around who are experiencing yeah. something similar and you can find uh, a survivor grief survivor group probably to fit your unique scenario. Anywhere, anywhere. Yeah. And that's the beauty of us living in this time that we live in before mm-hmm. you would have to go, you know, in person to a a support group or something like that. Well, some people aren't comfortable being in person and sharing in support groups, although support groups are wonderful options too. You know, mm-hmm. um, they have them at hospitals for grief, uh, any of your local hospitals, if you call and check, I'm sure they have them. And again, once this pandemic is done, um, they will probably start having more in-person gatherings again. But meanwhile, there's a million groups online. It is just such a great place to share your grief. Yeah. I, I can't, I cannot recommend it highly enough. 
Yeah. So the point is don't grieve alone. You don't, don't grieve alone. No. And yeah. like I said, we have a public page on guided grief journal and um, I'm going to be starting a private group page so that it's private. You have to join. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not public. So you can feel safer posting things. And on that page, I'm going to just start posing questions and, and, you know, sort of um, exercises that we can all go through together. Then occasionally I'm going to bring in, you know, gr- different grief experts and therapists to help facilitate some of these conversations. Oh, yeah. that's so amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Gracious. Just to help people when they're going through it. But again, journaling has been my savior and I really highly suggest it to anybody. If you don't buy my book, I wonder, um, you can just get a blank journal of your own. It opens a whole new world of possibilities for healing from grief. Yeah. Because, because I don't think you're going to heal unless you get it out. And so you, you have to get it out. It. You have to get it out. Yeah. Think about that. When you have a disease or let's liken it to cancer, for instance, um, you're not going to heal if you don't have that tumor removed, you know? And I feel the same thing about grief. If you can't get out what's in you, it is a dis-ease. It is a disease. Mm -hmm. It is eating you inside. Um, You have to get those things out of you. And however you do that, it's up to you. Talking it out, writing it out, talking to yourself in a room, going for walks, exercising, whatever it is that you do that makes you purge it, that's what's going to work for you. You know, some people just become, you know, avid runners after they go through grief, you know, the endorphins help. I do like taking walks and walks are something that cleanse my brain all the time. Oh my goodness, Lisa, this has been so incredible. First of all, thank you so much for sharing the story of your mom. And for celebrating her life and for sharing your experience as you grieved and then making it available to others so that they too can help process their grief. It's like having Lisa with you, linking arms (laughs) with her Uh and being able to go through it. So if you feel like you're not sure what your first step could be, go grab her guided grief journal and, and follow her so that you can feel like you have a support group or find one that's more appropriate for you and your circumstance. So yeah, Lisa, any final tips before we, before we wrap it up here? Um, again, as I said earlier in the interview, we all grieve differently. That is the biggest thing I think you should take away from this chat. And um, we all heal differently. You know, we grieve mm-hmm. differently. We all heal differently. We don't all heal on the same timeline. Don't hold yourself to what your friend Jane is uh, going through. You know, like, well, Jane got over it in a month. Uh, why am I still sad? You aren't Jane. Jane isn't you. Um, Bob isn't you. Jim isn't you. Um, we all have to do this on our own time and finding our own tools you know, to work with. So may you all find your own tools um, that help you through this process. And this web, I mean, this um, podcast is a great resource for goodness sakes. What you do is so wonderful for people, you know, Um, by sharing other people's stories of hard times, this is the best thing for people to hear because they can find little pieces of themselves in all of your stories that you share on this podcast, you know, and it's super helpful for people. And, you know, if prayer is what you do, pray and, you know, find guidance from there or here, wherever you are able to find comfort. It's there. The comfort is there. 
I trust me, you just have to find your comfort. Oh, Lisa, that is perfect. Thank you so much for coming on today's podcast and for sharing your story and for giving us the hope that healing is indeed possible. Oh, absolutely. It is possible. And you will heal in one way or the other <laughs> um, in, in time, um, but it is possible. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of powerful stories of hope. I know there are many of you out there who are going through a hard time, and I hope you found useful things that you can apply to your own life in today's podcast. If you would like to access the show notes of today's show, please visit my website, storiesofhopepodcast.com. There you will find a summary of today's show, the transcript, and one of my favorite takeaways. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this episode with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a quote or a scripture verse that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this podcast. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help you bear the burden. And above all else, remember God loves you.